Katie Cobbs, and I'm a worship shepherd at The Fellowship. If you haven't listened to the previous chapters, now would be a good time to go back and listen. Uh, Today, we are in chapter nine of The Reset, and it discusses the modern era of worship. What I would like for us to take away from this chapter is um, just for us to consider some of the topics discussed as it relates to how um, you serve on the worship and production team. So full transparency, if you haven't read this chapter, um, there, there are just parts of this chapter I feel like I can't really speak to. I do have my own convictions and opinions about some of the topics that Jeremy talks about, but they really are just more directed towards church worship and production staff and those who are in charge of Sunday services and different worship events. So things like stage production church and event media, worship events, ticket sales. Again, things that I'm not in charge of and most of us listening aren't in charge of. But I would encourage you to read this chapter if you're curious about uh, Jeremy's thoughts on those topics. He really does have um, some really great things to say about them. Um, While some of it, some of the chapter I don't feel like I can speak to, there are parts of this chapter that I do want to highlight. Um, Some really convicting and challenging things to consider, whether you're on stage, behind a camera, in the sound booth, wherever you are serving on the the team, these apply to all of us in some way or another. Um, I'll be reading a few bigger passages from this chapter, and we'll be reading directly from the book. So bear with me as I flip through some of these pages. Um, I do want to start off with the intro to this chapter so we know Jeremy's heart behind it. And the chapter is titled Reformation Items. It's page 89, in case you're actually in the book. All right, he says, The modern era of worship didn't come with an instruction manual. Most of the things we have to navigate today only existed in infant form when I was growing up. Many more things, like worship song royalties, public internet, social media, and smartphones didn't exist at all. There was no, there were no resources or season instruction for Christians, churches, or spiritual leaders trying to navigate their social media platforms wisely. There's still, there's still very little. Everything we did back in the day was necessarily experimental because it was all brand new. Nobody had ever navigated these waters before, so we let media run wild and media rapidly began to run us. Back then, we didn't know the negative impact it was going to have, but we do now, or at least we really should. The era of innocence has ended. Without course correction, the same things that gave worship its global wings will become the things that undermine its mission and pervert its purpose. Lines need to be redrawn and boundaries need to be reset. Many of the things affecting and influencing the heart of worship these days are not things you would typically cover in a heart of worship talk. So I'm going to step out of my lane for a bit because I feel strongly these things need to be addressed. We need to get very specific and practical about the external challenges we are facing as worship leaders due to media, production, and industry. Please understand I'm not trying to drag us back to the dark ages, but I am trying to get us to think about why we do what we do in light of our mission. My goal in specifically addressing these things is not to lay down the law, but to provoke needed discussion and dialogue. The bottom line is, do we want to create cultures of worship or not? If so, we really don't need to look much much farther than our own people. Do they look like they're connecting with heaven, or do they look like they're connecting with the person or a stage? If the answer isn't heaven, then our job is to work to change that. So, again, I feel like this is a little more, especially this last little paragraph, I feel like it's more directed towards staff worship, production leaders, directors, about their congregation, their audience. Um, 
but we can apply it to ourselves and our role on the worship and production team. Um, and so, you know, it says, it asks, do they look like, does the congregation look like they're connecting with heaven or do they look like they're connecting with a person or a stage? And so I would ask this, are we as leaders and members on these teams connected with heaven, meaning like fully engaged in genuine worship? So are we connected with heaven or are we more focused on the congregation, our performance, our gifts, our talents? Or maybe we're just completely disconnected and not engaged at all. Um, and so this next passage that I'm going to read is titled Excellence. And so it kind of um, speaks to a little bit about what I just read in that other passage. And so this is on page 94. Um, it says, I believe in excellence. I believe in giving God our wholehearted best in everything we do. But I can't help feeling churches are misinterpreting and misappropriating this value to justify all kinds of misguided pursuits and purchases. For the Christian, excellence is not a value unto itself, but a value that must live that must live continually subservient to much higher ranking values, values such as love, witness, mission, being spirit led and faithfulness. Take stage lighting, for example. If the excellence of our dazzling light show does not help us produce true worshipers, then how excellent is it really? It may indeed be excellent, but it certainly isn't useful to us. It would appear it's missing the higher value it was meant to be subservient to. Or take spontaneous spirit-led worship moments as another example. If we chose excellence as our highest value, then we would never follow the Holy Spirit. To be spontaneous and more importantly, obedient to the prompting of the Spirit is to risk the band screwing up because they can't follow you or forgetting the words that to that spontaneous chorus you just started to sing. If excellence was the highest value, we would never take those risks. But excellent, excellence isn't. Faith and obedience always outrank excellence. Or more accurately, faith and obedience redefine what excellence means in our worship sets. Excellence now becomes less about a band nailing a rehearsed and curated arrangement and more about a band playing with all their heart and skill to give wings to the unction of the Spirit. And so I love that Jeremy talks about this. And I think this is something that Rob has done well um, about. I mean, just during the rehearsals that I've been part of, um, almost every time I've led with him, he's reminded the team that us worshiping and leading our congregation into worship trumps perfect notes and beautiful harmonies. Um, I mean, should we come prepared knowing our music and what parts we're singing? Absolutely. I really do think that it, it is so important. I personally can worship more uh, freely when I know all the guitar chords and know what I'll be singing, but playing and singing perfectly is not the goal. Um, Jeremy says, in worship, we are not trying to dazzle people with what's happening on stage. We are simply trying to draw a room into a unified expression of worship. So none of what we do is about us. And I think we all know that, but I feel like sometimes we need to be reminded of, of that, what we're doing Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whenever, wherever, whatever capacity we're leading in, we are not doing it for us or for our glory. It has always been and always will be about the Lord and lifting his name high. None of the glory belongs to us and all of the glory belongs to him and him alone. So this last um, passage I'm going to read, it's on page 98, and it's called The Worship Artist. Um, and don't let that, like, turn you away from what I'm about to read, thinking that it doesn't apply to you, because, again, all of this can apply to us in some way. Um, so I'll read this passage, and then we'll talk about it. 
A troubling trend has been growing for some time in the worship industry. We have been increasingly intermixing things that do not belong together and should have always remained separate and distinct. Worship leaders are not performing artists, and nights of worship are not concerts. And yet, in this regard, we continually to intentionally and unintentionally marry what is sacred with what is common. This should not be. Worship is holy. Worship is unto God. Worship is for His pleasure and His pleasure alone. It cannot coincide with a night of entertainment on behalf of people. That is an unholy coalition, as is marrying a worship leader with our definition of a performing artist. If you are going to engage in leading the body and bride of Christ into worship and adoration, you are not a performer, you are a priest. And I want to talk about what this word priest means, because at first I was like, I'm not a priest. <laughs> but um, I found this little snippet from an article from Desiring God, and it's referencing First Peter 2. Um, but it says, not only are we living stones being built into a spiritual house for God's habitation, we are also a holy priesthood. In other words, we are not merely the passive building where God dwells. We are also the active participants in worship and not just participants, but a special kind of participant, the priests. Um, so, you know, we know that Christ was the, is the great high priest and he was the final priest. And so when we were in Christ, we get to share in that priesthood with him. So just so we know what that's saying. So it says, you are not a performer, you are a priest. As worship leaders, we are entrusted with two of the most sacred things to the heart of God, his glory and his bride. To forget his burning zeal over either of these two things and become complacent, irrelevant, and irresponsible is to risk great judgment. Our priestly assignment is far more glorious, sobering, and weighty than that of any performing artist, and we cannot afford to confuse the two. Okay, so while this is talking about worship artists, um, you might think it doesn't have anything to do with your role on the worship and production team, but it does. Running sound, lights, lyrics, taking video or pictures, playing an instrument, singing, all of it, all of it is working together and helping lead others um, to the throne and the presence of the Lord and leading them into worship. And that is the point of what we do and what we're doing on this team. Um, so, I, there, there are so many things to take away from this chapter, chapter, um, and I do hope that you'll take some time to consider some of the things mentioned and how um, they apply to you and how you serve on this team and ultimately how you um, serve the Lord on this team. Um, and so I just want to leave us with a reading from scripture. Since we're talking about worship, I thought I would read one of my favorite Psalms. That's always, um, I don't know, so it's a Psalm that's always kind of led me into a place of worship and it's Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep in his hand. God, you are worthy to be praised. 
Lord, all of this is for you. It's by you. It's because of you. It's for your glory and your honor and for your namesake. God, and may we be reminded as we um, serve week after week with the gifts that you have given us, God, that we will be reminded of these things as it is not about us, it is not for us, but for you and for you alone. Um, God, you are so good, gracious, kind, and loving, and we just thank you so much for who you are. We love you. Amen. Amen.